Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of The Gateway brought to you by the Northern Illinois University College of Business where your future is without boundaries and our approach is to. I am joined as always with my incredible co-host Dr. Biagio Palese. Hello Biagio! Ciao a tutti! Welcome, welcome to another great episode. For this episode, A Growing Business... The Gateway is happy to welcome Zach Goodson, co-owner and founder of Swifty Hemp Company. Zach is a bit of a business anomaly since he doesn't come from the traditional entrepreneurial cloth. Originally, he got his start in tobacco harm reduction efforts via e-cigarettes when he became fixated on upstart industries and the cultures they spawn. Through a series of fortuitous events, Zach became involved in both political advocacy as well as public communications via social media, garnering a large internet following. The agency afforded by social media helped spawn his involvement in the founding of Swifty Hemp Company, an alternative cannabinoid company which caters to the underserved consumers in cannabis-prohibited market. Zach, welcome to The Gateway. Thanks so much for being here today. Hello. So, Zach, I, I feel like you are coming from a very unique perspective with your experience within your organization, your business, and all of that stuff. So, as always with these conversations, I, I want to start at the beginning. And that beginning, I think, is kind of where you're coming from as a person, as a business professional. How did you get to where you're at today? Uh, very good question. Very good start. Uh, also, <laughs> pleasure to be here. Um, it's, a, it's a strange tale. I've, I've always kind of found myself maybe not at the outside of society, maybe not even on the fringes of society, but we'll say parallel to the fringes where I like to empathize and understand what's both sides of, of an issue. Uh, my background, obviously, I, I got my degree. Uh, I was political science with an emphasis in Middle East and foreign affairs. My minor was previously in Arabic, and then I changed it to communications because it's easier. I think a lot of the students will appreciate that. Um, significantly less credit hours. Uh, and it was a choice between should we do law school uh, or should we do what I am doing now? Um, and all throughout school and well before that, when I'm 27 now, so a week after my 18th birthday, I began working in a vape shop and not uh, like, a, like a dingy vape shop, nothing against that, but it was a very politically aware and politically active vape shop. And this is at the cusp of another very big burgeoning industry that was extremely misunderstood that had to overcome sometimes insurmountable challenges with legitimacy, with uh, getting the science out there and being able to effectively uh, draft legislation around the issues of vaping. And what I do now, which is really Delta 8, or should we say alternative cannabinoids, it is, it is in the exact same sort of zeitgeist feel that vaping is. So it was kind of a natural step. Once I got my degree, like, you know, hey, we have the ability to uh, make products that will really do more or less the same thing as cannabis, but we can make them for the prohibitive markets. Um, why don't we do that? So the decision was made. Why don't we start this company? Uh, luckily, we had a, a great heads up. We had great people involved. And alas, here I am. And I am now sitting in a podcast. 
<laughs> All right. So there are, I want to go and, and kind of define certain elements for our audience uh, within this stuff. So what state are, are you operating in currently? Uh, the great state of Florida. Okay, perfect. So which is currently, if, if I'm understanding that is a prohibitive state, cannabis it is, is not recreational. Okay. Yeah, we have it. We have it for medical. Um, okay. Yeah, and there's you. You find Illinois. I, I know Indianans have like Hoosiers. Is there like a demonym for <laughs> Illinoisans? Uh, uh, Bears fans. That's about it. Bears like fans, <laughs> uh, Bears fans uh, are very privileged in the fact that you guys are going to be seen as being on the right side of the history uh, for vast majority of issues, and cannabis being one of them. So you you have afforded to you recreational cannabis. Mm -hmm. Florida is not. Florida has medical cannabis. Um, and, you know, without without getting too into the weeds, uh, the medical cannabis industry, it, it is an industry after all, and it is a very, very close loop. It is uh, more, more similar to big tobacco uh, mm. and, and how their business operates. And there is an incentive to keep recreational cannabis away from the, the mass public, at least through medical. It's very, very easy to get a medical dispensary license, but there's, of course, a transfer of, of a lot of money from patients and naturally the medical cannabis industry seems to, to want it that way. They spend a tremendous amount of lobbying. Um, what I do is I work in what's known as alternative cannabinoids. So going off of the 2018 Farm Bill, uh, a, a landmark review of uh, some legislation that really decriminalized the use of different co compounds that are commonly found in industrial strength hemp. So this is what we would make hemp rope out of. This is what we would make CBD out of, for example. I think most people are probably somewhat familiar with CBD. Mm -hmm. um, and some of those compounds that can naturally be derived from the hemp plant are things that are psychoactive, things that, that change you, things that get you high, for lack of a better term. Um, and some of those things are Delta-8. Delta-8 THC is the most common. It is what's known as an isomer. And there is a massive, massive market for this. I mean, the figures are, are kind of, tough to swing but i mean it's it's in the billions it's it's in the single digit billions of dollars a year and this is the best way that consumers who i mean of course adult consumers who, who want to experience these products in a safe lab tested manner they're going to go for the next best thing and that next best thing tends to be delta and that's where companies like us come in it's a it's a very kind of weird place there are regulations in a lot of states it's it's maybe a, a little bit uh, less regulated than me, for example, want it to be, uh, but we're getting there. And that's why there are companies that kind of lead the vanguard that are more or less tip of the spear that are, are trying to get uh, our messaging across that, hey, we firmly want uh, the same lab testing standards as cannabis, uh, X, Y, Z. That was very verbose, but I hope that got the point across. It, it did. And it, and it really did help. And as we, we go into this conversation, I do, do want to put out there, of course, we, we encourage people to use any drugs, alcohol, anything like that safely and within reason and not break any laws. Of course, we have all of that stuff. And this conversation, a lot of times, um, Biagio and I have had the pleasure of interviewing people that have craft brewing companies and things like that. And, 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 and I think a lot of that still comes with the same thing of like, hey, you need to be smart, you need to be intelligent with that. So that's kind of the, the perspective. I'm pursuing this conversation in, as well as the business side of things with interesting legal and governmental regulations coming in that I, I think um, when we think of businesses, 
most of those for most industries have already been established. Like if you're an airline company, you know the rules and regulations of, of flying. You know, if you're Target, you understand, hey, if there's water, you got to put one of those yellow signs down. Like we, we, we have that stuff. And I think um, because of where we're at within legalization and, and the different state regulations, there's a lot of um, ambiguity within what is and isn't and then it almost becomes mythological right like hey if you're in florida you have to know the troll and the bridge with the password and it seems like it's a whole lot worse than really what it is is that is that a fair assessment for kind of where you're coming from that is i think one of the best characterizations of <laughs> this industry and industries like it that i i've ever heard you are 100% dead on. They're, these are these are new social norms and mores that are being established, like literally as we speak. Um, vaping was uh, that's that's the biggest analog that I always come back to. Is it, it starts in you know like really 2011, 2012, and you have uh, people who are importing devices from China, and they're claiming that they are medical devices. So. They, they import all of these just cheap Chinese made electronic cigarettes. They say that these are medical devices. Uh, and then customs, US customs had an issue with that. So they said, okay, fine, they're, they're tobacco products, whatever. Well, starting in 2011, there is now something on paper that says these are tobacco products. So for the past 15, well, 12-ish years, math not my strong suit, 11 years. Uh, for the past 11 years, there is now a paper laden precedent that says these are tobacco products. Well, then they're gonna try and legislate them and regulate them as such, whereas the industry as a whole had a lot to say against it. Um, we are always cognizant of the actions that we're taking because we know that they may ultimately become a precedent. They may become a legal precedent. Uh, they may become a, a moral precedent or just standard operating procedure. Um, it's it's daunting. It's, it's scary. And kind of the best thing that we can do is uh, try and establish those in a way that that makes sense, that's ethical, and it's ultimately putting consumers first. Because that's Hate to say it, and again, business majors are going to understand this. It, it's very, it's very uh, appealing to go for the infinite uh, short-term gain of just massive, massive profits, um, low overhead, you know, slave labor, whatever. Uh, you never truly win that way in the long term. The push comes to shove. If you do things wrong and you do things the wrong way, and you you do things with, uh, let's say, less than optimal ethics it's going to come back to bite you in the butt. That's something that you always have to be conscious of. So it's interesting that you, that you, you touch on ethics because uh, I, I feel like when we're talking about mores and values within that stuff, of course, we're, we're coming back to a conversation of ethics and specifically within any type of, um, let's just call it, Dr the drug culture element within that we we cross that very quickly there are established ones like this is wrong this is right this isn't and and we're starting to see maybe th that's a little bit more of a gray area here um do you feel an obligation to to hold higher standards of ethics within that than maybe some companies that, you know, are, are making baby food, but you find out, you know, that they're poisoning, you know, you know what I mean? Like, we know these companies that are like, oh, those are good companies, but behind the scenes, they're not ethically. Do you feel because of the industry and those natural kind of negative connotations that come with it because of the decades of our history with it, do you feel like you're, you're held to a higher standard or almost to a, a different standard that you have to maintain? Unequivocally, yes. Um, now I'm gonna speak on behalf of myself. I like it that way. 
I I like I like it when people check receipts. That's that's one of my biggest things. Is it usually comes in the context of lab reports. I want you to check those labs. I want you to look at them. I want you to go through them with a fine tooth comb. Um, no, it's because we find ourselves in it's it's not a gray market insofar as it's not being regulated because there are plenty of states. Really, most states have at least some type of regulation on the books for what we do for alternative cannabinoids and different packaging requirements, you know, IP, the guidance, you know, et cetera. Um, there, there is guidance out there, but because it's not uniform and because there are still, it's still new, um, there is, there is a certain subsect that maybe sees an incentive to not do things to the highest standard, mm. uh, maybe break some of those mores that we're trying to establish. Um, we are simultaneously under more scrutiny, but at least from a company's perspective, we enjoy that because I, I say it a lot. It's it's a joke, but it's not a joke. It's the like informal maxim of Swifty. We spend an obscene amount of money to make it better than anything else, to make it test higher than anything else, to make it safer ultimately than anything else. And while we make significantly less money per unit, uh, we feel better about it and I can go to sleep at night and I can go forward in life knowing that I've not done anything to kill anybody and that I've not cut the product unnecessarily. And in times like this, when again, there is little regulation, that's when the free market kicks in. And we firmly believe that consumers are discerning. At the end of the day, consumers are discerning. They are going to find a product that works better. And a lot of times when we see brand battles throughout history, the better products oftentimes won. But so when you're when you're saying I, I want to talk about a couple of things here, lab reports, things like that. There's that safety background with that that I honestly don't think many people are aware of um, and they don't think of it like I don't think of uh, when I open a, a can of beer that yeah the fda has gone through and they've looked at that stuff and i'm consuming it like i'm just like yep i trust it great you know and, and i don't think of that but again when because of this industry kind of having some connotations associated fairly or unfairly whatever it may be i, I think people are way more like okay that's automatically going to be terrible and and you're you, you, there's none of that stuff but there is so i do want to talk about lab reports on that one and then um just to get this out there i i want to talk about as you're in the alternative cannabinoid space if florida or federal if regulations change and it's now recreational does that automatically mean that your business and your business model is gone and now your everything you've put into is 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 down the river so um take whichever you want from that one and, and run with it zach <laughs> i'm gonna i'm gonna hit the uh, the latter uh, point versus are are we rendered immediately obsolete there are two i think very valid and uh equally competitive narratives on that and really just two two opinions um one of them is like of course it's like this is this is a placeholder industry this is here uh, strictly to elicit the same effects that quote unquote normal cannabis will um but just not being legally classified as cannabis the other one and the other one which i think is more favorable um is delta a does have its inherent uses um it is it, and this is hard to, to really quantify scientifically, but conventional wisdom dictates that Delta-8 THC specifically is 70% as potent as, quote unquote, the real stuff. So it is ultimately a, a lighter thing. Now, that being said, there are alternative cannabinoids that are significantly stronger than the real stuff. Um, but if we're speaking in terms of Delta-8, uh, it, it's, it's not 
as high. You're, you're never going to get to the point of sheer paranoia. If you've ever had a full-blown anxiety attack, um, you're, you're not going to get that with Delta. You're going to get maybe close. As I like to say, you're not going to cross that line, but you're going to get chalk on your cleats. You're going to get close, but you're going to plateau right beforehand. Um, I think that that's, that offers and affords good utility to some consumers who maybe don't want that super high, high dosage. Um, that's another thing about the free market, especially in the recreational cannabis space. It is an arms race, just like it is in our industry. You got to make it you got to make it better. You got to make it cheaper. Got to make it higher potency, better, cheaper, higher potency, better, cheaper, higher potency. And that unfortunately comes uh, at, at a loss for a, a lot of consumers who maybe don't want that. Maybe they want more of just a kind of a baseline, even, even microdosing. Like there is a market for microdosing THG and THG analogs. Um, I, I don't know. And I don't like making predictions. I would say that the market for Delta eight will still exist uh, if in when in the event of full-blown federal legalization. The thing that we fear, um, first and foremost, we, and I'm gonna speak in, in Florida terms, Florida had the opportunity to vote for a constitutional amendment that would have made us go recreational, which is awesome on paper. There were a lot of uh, very, very cool, um, like addendums that were slipped into the amendment and it just, it, it seemed just super palatable and, and super lucrative for all parties. But there was one, literally a matter of like two lines, and it was the only people who could apply for a recreational cannabis license are the ones that currently hold a medical cannabis license, a medical cannabis dispensary license. So you have not just de facto, but you have de jure cut out any sort of competitiveness. You have uh, kind of thrown away the free market aspect. Um, we don't want to see something like that happen in federal legalization. But I want to say if everything is done uh, properly, not even properly, but just somewhat like equitable where you know, up and coming entrepreneurs can come into this space and can compete properly. And it, it's meritocratic and it's not just, uh, you know, I don't want to use terms like nepotism here, but if it's not nepotistic and you already have a history, uh, I think that Delta eight can coexist with Delta nine. I think Delta 10 can coexist with Delta nine. Uh, I think HHG can certainly coexist. I think these, these good lab tested, quantifiable, viewable, understood alternative cannabinoids can all happily coexist and even be combined. That's my TED talk. <laughs> can, can I jump in the conversation? Uh, I mean, first of all, Zach, thank, thanks again to be here. I mean, uh, this is this is a topic I'm not super knowledgeable about, so I I, I truly enjoy uh, you spending time with us to make it accessible to to many people, and I truly uh, agree with you that you know sometimes when topics have a negative connotation, it's you have to work harder to make it more. Uh, you know, accessible to make people trustworthy and so on and so forth. So to be honest, I didn't even know that there was an alternative cannabinoids and I didn't know like what they consist to. So, so this is all new for me, uh, but coming from Italy and, uh, you know, a reality that might be a little bit different from the U.S., uh, you know, growing up, I, I always seen that we in Italy, for example, even just for cigarettes, we have on the package of the cigarettes, like, you know, smoking, create cancer is, is going to give you uh, skin cancer and all those kind of stuff. So you see these cruel images on the package, but then I see people just keep buying it because it's in the end, it's like they are addicted to it. Uh, so, so now, uh, but I hear on your other side that you do it instead spend a lot of times to make it people aware of how these products are made, uh, that the quality of them is really good, that the task, that the labs that you run on them is, is, is going to guarantee that you know, they, they don't 
are going to harm their health and so on and so forth. So it, to me, that's kind of like uh, uh, two opposite words. It's like because cigarettes are more acceptable, uh, maybe, I mean, at least in, Europe, in Italy, I, I know here there are also negative connotation on that, but because they're acceptable, even if you literally stick that it's going to kill you, uh, people stick, still buy it, right? While in your case, you try to do your best, but sometimes you still have to struggle to, to make it uh, like uh, it's not that harmful for people. So from you, what I, I was trying to get from this is like, um, wh what is your take on this type of situations? Like where like you realizing that you're assuming nicotine and whatever it comes with cigarette and it's still kiss killing you and causing you cancer, but then when it comes to this other stuff, just because it's considered more, as a more negative connotation, you have to do so much more. And I know we cannot touch upon it, uh, but it's, uh, it, I mean, I struggle with that, right? I struggle is just because of morals or ethics, or I don't know why is this this is happening, honestly. It's a, it's a social dilemma. If, if, you, if you really break it down, it, you know that this cigarette is antithetical to my existence. It is bad for my health. I know that in the US, 400,000 people a year die from preventable smoking illnesses. However, I'm still addicted to that cigarette. I still love that cigarette. I still enjoy the feeling and the rituals associated with the cigarette. I appreciate consumer skepticism and I appreciate it to a degree that I uh, is, I think, more than most people. I think most people would see it as a headache. I'm not a traditional business person, right? So maybe it's just my different perspective. I, I love it because it gives me the opportunity to educate. It gives me an opportunity to talk about the, the different strides and, and the ins some of the insanity that we have had to do to quality control this product. Some of the insane financial investments that we have had to undertake and that most companies in our space, most reputable companies in our space at least uh, have undertaken. Uh, it's, it's tremendous. I like consumer skepticism. I, I, I've always loved conspiracy theorists. I don't necessarily love conspiracy theories, but I, I love the idea that there's somebody out there who's either through pareidolia, either through drawing patterns from nothing, uh, or through a sincere belief and maybe even mental illness, they are going through everything with a fine tooth comb, trying to, trying to find a way that this person is screwing me, that this person is screwing us. I love that. Because then I think meritocracy truly reigns supreme. Uh, the free market does kick in and good ethical business practices, uh, especially in terms of product quality, Will, will ultimately win. We have, we are not legally obligated. Stand by, can we pause? Have you have you seen our, our packaging at all? No, 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 we haven't. There are two words that I use ad nauseum whenever I describe drug policy or really most uh, government policy. Um, and those words are arbitrary and capricious. So the, even my existence is arbitrary and capricious. I should not have to exist. This business sector should not have to exist. I think if we had a nice, level playing field with common sense regulations, which is something that we are continually striving and actively working towards through various industry groups and advocacy organizations. This is what's really funny. So remember, there are regulations in place, but they're kind of localized regulations. There's really nothing saying explicitly in a lot of places that I need to have X on this package, that I need to have this warning or I need to have that. Florida is much more regulation conscious than a lot of other states, um, as is Virginia. Virginia, we kind of look at as, and I'm going to get a lot of flack from the industry on this, Virginia is looked at as kind of a, a beacon in my eyes for how these products should be packaged. Virginia has the strongest regulations when it comes to how we package alternative cannabinoid products. And we ourselves 
love regulation because without regulation, we do not exist. We are just a, a loophole. When we are codified legally and someone writes and passes a bill that has Delta 8 THC or alternative cannabinoids in the bill, that thereby makes us a, a real legal entity. So we love it. Virginia, I have to do a couple things. Number one, I have to have child resistant packaging. So this has undergone a, a tremendous certification process. I actually just did a video about it, uh, that TikTok is likely going to get banned today, just FYI. So I don't want to direct people to it, but it's likely going to happen. But this is a, a three-point closure. It's also biodegradable. Uh, there's a plastic eating enzyme inside of here. It eats the package. It's awesome. It's great. This passes the CRC portion. And then in Virginia, this is another product, you have to have, let me see if I can spin this around. Da, 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 da. You have to have several different things. You have to have, it must, it, you have to have, uh, contains THC. It must be 21 years or older. It has to identify what the product is. In this case, it is a one gram disposable. We have to quantify a serving size. Now, this is a vapable device. It is very difficult. We were able to do it, thankfully. We were able to do it to a degree of scientific certainty. We had to quantify how much Delta 8 THC you get in one one second inhale. So we had a bunch of math people on, on team that day. We have to have the ingredients. In this case, it's Delta 8 tetrahydrocannabinol, Delta 8 THC distillate, botanically derived terpenes. But here is my favorite part. This part right here. I don't know if, how easily you can see that, but it says 94.4% Delta 8 THC, 944.2 milligrams per milliliter. Then the total THC, obviously 944.2 milligrams. That to me is rather sneaky, but it's a very good piece of legislation for anyone who drafts uh, legislation regarding this. That means I can't lie because associated with that number, I have to have a QR code on the package that takes me directly to labs that will verify that amount of THC that's in there. A lot of people, and I, I get hung up and uh, hung up on it a lot. A lot of people like to put like a thousand milligrams on their label, or like to put two thousand milligrams on the label. Those numbers are arbitrary and predicated upon nothing. That number, nine hundred and forty-four, that is lab verified. That has undergone uh, ISO lab standard testing. It is this in this case, it's gone to a DEA certified lab, and I am able to quantify and tell you what is in here, how much of it is in here. Are there any solvents? Are there any pesticides? Are there any mycotoxins? Is there anything of real danger that is in this product? And that lab can definitively say yes or no. At this fact, uh, they said no. We also have. The standard California warnings, we are not legally obligated to have that, but we think it's best practices. Of course, we have FDA warnings. You know, this has not been evaluated uh, by the Food and Drug Administration, XYZ. We have Prop 65 for California. We don't even sell to the state of California because they actually prohibit Delta 8 cannabis lobby. Um, but we, we still do that because we want to cover all bases and we want to sort of, again, be that beacon, be that vanguard of, hey, this is how we feel you should be doing it correctly. Wow. <laughs> that, that, that was is, a lot, I know. Yeah, no, I mean, I appreciate that. And uh, I mean, unfortunately, those that will only listen will not get that part uh, where they can see, but we saw the labels, we, we got guaranteed that what all the he reads was there. Uh, I just want to kind of follow up on my previous point because, um, uh, and I mean, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but uh, what, what from my experience is having friends that smoke and uh, even like vape and stuff like that, I noticed one thing. I noticed that uh, if my friend just smokes cigarettes uh, and, you know, one day they go to the gas station and they don't find the cigarettes that they usually smoke, they say, whatever, give me another one. Like most of them, they don't care that much. They will just switch 
and try whatever is available. But on the other side, in a more niche, like people they vape, like they are more willing to learn about the product that they're about to smoke. And they are so much like, oh, this one is gonna have that taste. This one is gonna give you the, the, the feeling afterwards. So they, if, if they don't find what they want, they're probably not gonna smoke that day. Uh, so, I mean, correct me if I'm not wrong, if that's apply also in your area, but it seems that consumer in this niche are really much more uh, willing to learn and they want to know the stuff more than in those that are like mass product, like cigarettes and stuff like that. Uh, just want to know your perspective on this. You, you could not be more accurate, even if you tried. That is 100% <laughs> dead on. Um, the difference between cannabis and, and tobacco, and I'm probably oversimplifying, there is little to no evidence that cannabis is addictive. You can absolutely develop a psychological dependency where, you know, as far as I, I need this to uh, relax, I need this for my anxiety, I'm going to be a worse person without this, but you're not going to necessarily experience like physiological symptoms of withdrawal like you would with nicotine. So nicotine, at some point, it, it begins as pleasure and then it ultimately becomes a necessity, it becomes an addiction. With cannabis, not so much. I think you have more leeway and you maybe have more agency as a consumer to be discerning. We notice several different market segments. The, the beautiful thing about what we do is because, again, we are basically cannabis without all the legal baggage made to the same standards. Every socioeconomic demographic uses these products. Everybody loves these products. Some of my greatest clients are elderly people. They love the edibles. Um, I, I have a preferred product segment for a preferred demographic. Um, I like to say that the vast majority of consumers do have some discerning nature. Uh, a lot of people don't. A lot of people really just like the feeling of getting high. But I would say the discerning connoisseur or connoisseur in this case um, is much more present in this industry than it would be in, in tobacco, uh, than it would be even uh, in, in alcohol for like just the, the vast majority of people who drink to have fun or drink socially. They're not necessarily going to be discerning. Um, they can recognize a, a better made IPA than, you know, the Pabst Blue Ribbon. Or I think you guys have hams up there, maybe. I know it's a Minnesota <laughs> thing. I don't know if that's an Illinois thing. It's all around here. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. So you're going to have hams and then you're going to have like a nice IPA. Um, it's, it's interesting. Another internal maxim that we have in, in Schwifty, and this is not gratuitous self-promotion, I promise, but we, we make products for the mass market but I make it so that with respect, Neckbeards on Reddit will go through the COAs, the certificate of analyses uh, with their fine tooth combs. And they're gonna be like, this is awesome. We have little Easter eggs in the products that we garnered from our experience in vaping where there's a, a very specific type of hardware that we like to use, a very specific type of distillate, type of extraction, just nerd stuff. So it can be appreciated by everybody, but it can be especially appreciated by those people that, uh, that you mentioned. Uh, absolute uh, can of source. So Zach, as you're, as you're talking throughout all of this, um, I, I, I take away a knowledge, a wisdom, an experience, a, a expertise in your industry. And for many people, um, on, off, or just completely ignoring the record, their experience with purchasing 
any of these products previously was some kid in some parking lot somewhere and it was Wendy's and you know what I mean like it was very very low quality and you just had what you had and I do believe that's where a lot of those negative connotations came from it was a black market it was an illegal exchange and you just took what you did and people were in those situations taking actual risks with their health too because you didn't know what you were getting you didn't have any of that stuff again, I've never done any of that stuff. So like, I have no idea, but I've heard stories about this. Mm -hmm. um, and so as we're looking within this, is it, do you almost at times feel like you have to be, uh, take a moment of education or almost prove your knowledge or prove where you're at that, hey, we're not that, like, this is a real thing. And also, if you want to get into this industry, you better come correct. You better know your stuff. You better be ready here or else you are going to be slaughtered and you are not even going to know what happened before you even started playing. I'm, I'm going to uh, tell you right now, Mr. Russ. Um, yes, uh, you better come correct. There, there are, and I, I hyperbolically say there are tens of thousands of companies. I know of at least a thousand companies currently in this space. And, and I joke, and this is without targeting an individual. And, and I would say 99% of the people up top uh, within like the top you know, 20 companies of, of which maybe we're in the top. I, I would think we probably are. I actually don't know because this is a very obfuscated market. A lot of people don't get into their proprietary sales numbers, but you kind of know. Um, the, the top ones that you're going to find in most places are extremely reputable. They hold themselves to the same high standards that we do. However, because this is a burgeoning industry, because this has the potential to yield in unbelievable margins, um, there is an incentive to, let's say, cheat, or there is an incentive to maybe not do things to the highest quality, to, to do things as well as you could. And that goes both to the supply chain of how you're sourcing everything, uh, that also goes to the lab and maybe lab testing or the lack thereof. Um, there are certainly actors in the industry that maybe have a couple million dollars and they want to throw it at the wall of an industry and see what sticks, make a huge amount of money and then go go to the Caymans. We had people like that in vaping uh, and that's, that's a real thing. There was a very, very notable uh, group of people within a company who made tens of millions of dollars when, when the fires started getting closer to their feet, they went to the Cayman Islands. And they just they've been living out living out their days there. Um, I I love the prospect of educating people. I actively say, quote, I am not that guy. I know I sound like that guy. I, I don't like having to bring up my bona fides, you know, but mm -hmm. it's it's a necessary thing. And I, I understand people's reluctance. And again, I more importantly, I appreciate number one, people's reluctance. And I, and I appreciate that people are willing to say, Hey, I, I have reservations about these products. I heard about the Avali scare in 2019. You know, how do I know that you are, you are not that whatever. Um, that's ultimately, I think a good thing for the industry. It, it, it affords a great deal of accountability. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a, it's a strange medium to be in because number one, I want to lead with empathy. Uh, but I do oftentimes get, get tired of spelling the same disinformation, but I know that is a necessary thing. Uh, I've been on the board of directors for a uh, tobacco harm reduction advocacy group for uh, four-ish years at this point. And one of the, the big parts of my job is I'm the consumer representative. So I, I interact with consumers. I interact with the public quite a bit. Every now and again, I interact with government officials. 
And I, I kid you not, it is the same con uh, conversation. It is, uh, it's a very similar conversation to cannabis, it, at least with respect to the concerns, like legally, um, you know, the safety of ingestion, whatever. Um, I have the same con uh, conversations year in and year out. And, and that's okay. And that's a necessary thing. Um, and I, I, I like to be as transparent and open as possible. This is how we do things. This is how the vast majority of the industry as a whole does things. Yes, there are bad actors, but here are ways that you can identify the good actors. So I want to give I want to give space within that one because again, with all of that stuff, how, how do you how do you identify the good ones? How do you know when you're working with someone? trustworthy or at least a product that is uh, and, and I'm going to completely reveal my ignorance of this one and I know this will probably be every state is a little bit different but is there um, a seal you know like hey this is this is good to go and, and that we should be looking for that or um, is it just kind of like you got to trust and do your own research and good luck uh that's actually a good good point the, the seal uh, especially we don't necessarily have a seal per se okay. but what we do have is again these QR codes so here's the thing. I, I have encountered companies in the past who have put on CR codes that don't scan back to anything. Obviously, the idea behind a CR code is me as a consumer, I'm going to take my phone out, ideally in the store where I'm trying to purchase it. I'm going to scan that QR code. It is going to bring me to at least a landing page where it offers every product that that company makes. Click on the product subsection. Look at the subsection for that to the individual item. I'm going to look at the labs. You don't even necessarily need to know how to read labs. I would encourage people to learn how to read labs. Um, but the, if they have labs from somewhere that looks reputable, I'm not saying that everybody can identify every fake lab report, but fake lab reports are, that's, that's an egregious thing. That is, that is a cardinal sin in this industry. You don't do that. You don't mess with science. Uh, that is, that is absolutely anathema to everything that we try to do. Uh, not to say it's unheard of, but Chances are, if there is a lab report, that lab report, you should treat it as legitimate until you've gotten information otherwise. Mm -hmm. um, there are several companies that, again, like I said, the lab report will not scan to anything. That is your biggest red flag. Could it be giving benefit of the doubt? Could it be old packaging? Maybe they change the QR code? Absolutely. Another thing you want to look for, this is such a basic and elementary thing, but Russ, I kid you not, I have seen it uh, in plenty of distributors. If there are like clear spelling issues on packaging, <laughs> um, that that I don't understand. That had to go through several hands to get to where it is now, which is in front of me, uh, to pass that. That's not good. If the packaging looks weird, um, if, if there's just a feeling, your gut is one of the best safety indicators. We've had 200,000 years of human evolution to stop us from killing ourselves. Your ancestors made it through. They were able to breathe. Our gut, trust your gut. Um, if there's just something about the look, or if you if you can't understand what's on the package, if there are all these weird exotic things on the package, um, yeah, I may be dubious of that. Um, there's always new uh, hemp-derived cannabinoids that are being isolated for the first time, being put into market. The ones that I feel safest with, Delta-8, Delta-10, HHG and THCP. Anything beyond that is is kind of dubious to me, but that's more more so in the weeds. Generally, if you know, you know. If you've seen it in numerous places on your excursions and adventures, chances are it's probably a, a reputable and legitimate company. Google them. Go to their website. What does their website look like? Is there any sort of contact information? A big thing, especially when it comes to accountability, 
is I, I want to know who is the ultimate manufacturer. A lot of people operate under various LLCs and various DBAs within that LLC. They try to kind of obfuscate the, the company's supply chain as much as they possibly can. You want to look for any sort of visibility. If, if the price is too good to be true, chances are it is. Again, without getting too much further into the weeds right now, we're, we're bordering on the Everglades in terms of the weeds, and I want to kind of stay out of there. <laughs> yep. Um, there, there is a broad spectrum of people. There is a broad spectrum of distillate that you can get your raw building block. You have some people who like to use $400 liter distillate. Then you have other people, more so like us, that use like $2,000 liter distillate. There is a very big demonstrable difference between a $400 liter distillate and a $2,000 liter distillate that is also reflected in the final cost. So you, you'll know. Yeah. You're, you're smart. You've made it this far in life. <laughs> So, so Zach, I want to I want to switch then into more of the, the the business side of it. Um, as you and your your colleagues were were starting the this company and this organization and kind of laying out your business plan, what was something that uh, when when you were conversing, you thought was going to be like this is not this is not a thing like this will be one of the easy things. I know whenever people are thinking about businesses, there's always something that you're like, yeah, we got that, that's easy. Um, but this is what we're going to worry about. And many times, the thing you worried about was not that big of a deal. And the one thing that you're like, yeah, you know, having a door on our on our <laughs> place was easy, and that was the thing that was really hard. Was there something that you're like, oh, we misjudged that. We did not realize that that was going to be a bigger one. Or were you? accurate with it and it was like and it still sucked like that was the thing that really was a problem absolutely not no there have been uh maybe not dozens of yeah. things so and i think business students especially will appreciate this and then when i was in college a lot of the business majors i knew they already had their own like uh, kind of entrepreneurial forays in the past so you understand that there are there are things that happen you need to have contingencies xyz i do not come from a business background i do not come from an entrepreneurial background i I, I like structure, you know? I like the idea of a nine to five where I wake up at nine in the morning and I go to bed at 5 p.m. I do not like numbers. I do, I appreciate numbers. I appreciate math. Um, I don't like it. I've never been good with the numbers. I don't handle any of that. Um, the biggest keys, I am a worst case scenario type of person and that has afforded us a, a, lot, of, um, a lot of flexibility. It's, it's sort of pigeonholed us, but not expecting the worst thing to happen, but planning for the contingency of the worst thing might happen and then having a, a separate secondary and tertiary contingency for that contingency as well. The biggest thing for me, lead times. I'm going to assume that when I'm speaking to you, if you are gonna make my packaging, Russ, and you tell me that it's gonna be from the time that I send you the, the designs to the time that it's in my hands, you tell me it's gonna be four weeks, I'm gonna expect within a margin of error of maybe like five days, it's gonna be four weeks. Sometimes things happen and that four weeks becomes eight weeks. Well, now I have products. I do not have packaging or vice versa. There's always, there's always something going on in the supply chain. And oh, by the way, what happens if our hardware is uh, like stuck at a port, for example, for like a month? What if it's trying to clear customs? We don't have the hardware. I have deadlines. There are things on pre-orders. There have been so many issues that have come up and so many obstacles that we've had to navigate successfully, I might add, that hitherto I would have never even conceived of being an issue. Things that seem so straightforward, things that seem so easy. Uh, we almost forgot to pay our electric bill our first, our first month in, um, in the new office. Like little things like that. Honest to God, 
Russ, I did not know what P&L stood for. I had no idea what a P&L sheet was. Because again, I don't like numbers. I would be inept. This would not be a thing were it not for my two other partners. I am colloquially the guy that you want to deal with. I'm the people person. I like doing the education. I like doing the communication. I like making deals. I like selling things. That's perfectly fine. The biggest piece of advice, and I think one of the most important things, is knowing when to delegate. And I myself have to know when to delegate. Numbers, numbers issues, paying the bills, reminding myself to pay the bills. I'm not going to touch that with a 10-foot pole. Things, things of that nature. Packaging is an absolute pain in the ass, especially now. Um, Chinese New Year, always, always have Chinese New Year in the back of your mind. Chinese New Year will, will make or break you in a lot of cases. Having stock to survive Chinese New Year, huge, huge thing. All the beauty of a globalized economy being that things are globalized and the free market truly is at work, but it, it's globalized. Things happen on a global basis. We saw what happened with COVID-19. We saw that both micro and macro. We see it now with like the, the price of having to ship a pallet from Shenzhen. I mean, the, the, the cost increase has been exorbitant. Literally the wood, the wood that you would ship a pallet on, I think four years ago was like uh, six or $7. And I think today it's like $35. Well, Those little things, again, we don't really do much with China, but just as, as kind of like an analogy, um, there are so many unknown unknowns that will come and when it happens, you cannot panic. You have to be methodical um, and you don't look to assign blame. That was something I was very guilty of early on was I was always looking for somebody to blame, whether it was somebody in the supply chain, uh, whether it was somebody who I thought screwed us and maybe they did screw us, but ultimately who's to blame is not the issue at hand. The issue at hand is this is a problem. It has shown itself as a problem. How do we fix it as a team? Okay. I want to jump in on this because I have a question that you kind of touched upon already, but I was very curious about what was the impact on the pandemic on this business? Like, did, did potentially like increase the sales or any other issue that you might have? And the second follow-up question is, again, we, we are the OMIS department in the College of Business, so you touch upon the importance of supply chain and stay on top of them. Uh, but I have a question for you regarding like, what, what is the role of technology in this business? Or do you see the technology potentially disrupt this business as well in year to come? So I want to hear your perspective uh, on this too. Let's, let's start. Let's start for, mm, I don't know which one I should start first on. So COVID-19 had, and, and this is going to be a thing that papers will be written on for decades and decades, was the really business impact on a truly globalized and well-integrated global economy and a worldwide pandemic. From, Swifty wasn't around fully at the start of the pandemic. I could witness what, what it did to the nicotine market. The nicotine market was never better, at least the demand side of things. People are stuck at home. You need nicotine. I would surmise, this is anecdotal, but I would surmise that you would absolutely need cannabis as well because you're stuck at home, you're bored, you have anxiety, whatever, or you're gonna need alternative cannabinoids. Um, the issue being most of the hardware, a lot of the packaging as well comes from China. That was a colossal, a colossal issue, especially in the uh, vapor industry. When all of the, the large hardware companies, you know, Geek Vape, Vape Resto, they're all based out of China. They're all based out of the same four block radius in Shenzhen. When Shenzhen shut down, the, the vaping world hurts. Um, what's been really interesting is to see that, that our industry, alternative cannabinoids, 
we're more or less recession proof. The, the biggest impact that we feel is at the retail level. When we are like wholesaling to stores and the stores themselves, because either the stimulus money is, is no longer happening or just a lack of consumer confidence, whether or not it, it being with the situation in Ukraine, or maybe there's just other endemic effects that you're feeling financially, um, consumer confidence plays a huge part. We've We've never really suffered, suffered because I think there's always the demand to use psychoactive substances. I think there's always going to be the demand to maybe self-medicate for lack of a better term. Um, I, I think you would probably know better than me that uh, there's, there's, there's likely some causal link between alcohol consumption and, and recession. I think the rates like go up and, and I think beer sales uh, tend to at least go up quantifiably so. This is exactly the same thing. When times are tough, we tend to do well. As macabre as that is to say, it's it's true. Technology is a, well, we'll break. Technology is a huge uh, facet of what we do. Technology allows us to really effectively communicate. I would argue, and, and I, I may not have enough merit to argue this, but I would say Delta-8 is the greatest threat to recreational cannabis as a whole. We are not beholden to the same uh, very rigid structures that regulate cannabis, consumer cannabis. Consumer cannabis had to raise billions and billions of dollars. Uh, they, they had to constantly fight, 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 get regulations pass. And a lot of those regulations tend to be punitive. A lot of the tax rates tend to be extremely punitive and harsh. For lack of a better term, we just showed up. We were able to find a way to produce basically the same thing. Uh, we can produce it to the same standards with the same efficacy, with the same lab tests, with the same everything else. We're able to do that. And we are able to, to float it to the consumer for a significantly lower cost investment. That is a huge thing. That is a big threatening thing. And that is one of the reasons why really cannabis as a whole and us um, are not maybe on the friendliest terms. Um, I think they, I, I don't like to see us as a direct explicit threat to big cannabis. My, my modus operandi is not to destroy big cannabis. I'd like to coexist with big cannabis, but I think they may view what we do and what this, again, I think $10 billion a year industry, Delta 8 specifically, uh, what we do as a monumental threat to what they do. But what do I know? Zach, this has been incredibly informative, and I know we're we're getting close to time, so I, I want to do one question to kind of wrap up, and then I also want to invite you to to hit your pluggables and and how we can all get in touch with you and and, and your business. So make sure to to take your time for that one. Oh, um, but if someone's interested in getting into this industry, what what's your your advice? Whether working something like hey, like this is something that I'm interested in doing with my career. How do I go about that? And then yeah, hit your pluggables. I would say the it's tough. I had such a weird nonlinear path to this. There are, you could theoretically get your LLC, get your DBA, go to a trade show, make connections, find a way to white label. There are plenty of people who will, who will white label for you. Um, get the branding, become educated. The biggest, the biggest issue and the biggest hurdle, um, this is an extremely hyper-saturated industry. I, I don't think there are many other industries like this that could be called as saturated as this industry in itself is. There are 
tons of players. There are new players every single day. There are new players uh, rising up. There are new players dying. You have to stay true to yourself. You have to be uh, consistent. You have to be stable. You have to innovate. There is paper airplanes to space shuttles every six months in this industry in terms of what we can do. You have to stay on, on, on par with that. I don't want to say that uh, capital is a not necessary thing or not a hugely important thing. It is a tremendously important thing. Uh, we were lucky just because of the connections that we had that we were really able to successfully bootstrap things, especially from the beginning. I mean, it was a it was a minimal event. I'm, I'm talking like a like a five digit minimal investment between us to get this up and running. But again, we had that privilege of already being fairly well ingratiated in the industry and in the vapor sphere. We just happened to network. Networking is the the lifeblood of I think every real business enterprise. Networking and hard work, and I would argue ethics and a good moral compass. Um, trade shows. I like trade shows. Stick true to yourself, um, and you know, just ask people. If you if you meet someone in the cannabis space, I guarantee you they probably know everybody in the surrounding area, whether or not they're a farmer, whether or not they work in a dispensary, whether or not they know this. It's like six degrees of separation is a very real thing and it has come in handy for me. I know it could come in handy for everybody else. Perfect. And if I want to get in touch, learn more about your company specifically, how can I do that? Well, I would say um, you could visit our TikTok. TikTok I like because that's where I got my start. Uh, we don't sell anything via TikTok, uh, but our TikTok is S-H-W-I-F-T-Y-H-M-P-C-O. Uh, basically Schwifty Hemp Co., but abbreviated. The best way to look at us is www.schwiftyhemp.com. And that is Schwifty, that's S-H-W-I-F-T-Y-H-E-M-P.com. Our Instagram is also at SchwiftyHC. It's it's usually more or less my, my dumb face, um, but you'll see me you'll see me floating around. The TikTok is about to get banned, so we have several backups. Um, I'm not entirely sure which backup we're going to go with, so I don't want to divulge that information yet because I don't want it to be wrong. Zach, I, I really do appreciate your your consideration, your compassion, your openness. I, I think it is only going to continue to allow us to have these more informative conversations and, and hopefully change the way we're going so that uh, everyone just knows more and, and makes educated decisions. So I thank you for sharing your time with us. I'm, I'm very grateful. I think it was a, a honor and a privilege from my end. Anything to do with academia, I like it. I know especially business majors love, love to kind of denigrate academia. There's a reason it exists. Um, and I think having this sort of open, transparent dialogue, uh, I appreciate the uh, faculty who have allowed this to happen. So shout out to both of you. Um, but yeah, no, it was a pleasure. And again, I will continue to make myself available. Uh, if you ever uh, want me to pop back on, I think next time I can be a bit more organized. But for all, for all intents and purposes, I am uh, happy to be here. I, it was a privilege and I hope you guys have a wonderful day. Thank you, Zach. Thank you, Zach. Nice to meet you. Have a good day. Absolute pleasure. And thank you to all of our listeners for tuning in to another episode of The Gateway brought to you by NIU's College of Business. Please make sure to subscribe to The Gateway. You can find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever podcasts are found. And if you are so inclined, please feel free to give us those five-star ratings, which help allow us to continue to bring wonderful guests to the gateway. Thank you all for listening. And remember to love always the promise of tomorrow today.